Hi, and welcome to Salem Heights Church. We are so thankful that you are joining us this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find out information on the website at SalemHeightsChurch.org. We as a staff have been praying continually for you, that you would be connected, that you would be taking the opportunity, if you can, to meet with a small group of people and watch the service and discuss the questions. Also, we've been praying that you would be thriving in this time, that you would be thriving because you are spending time in God's Word, taking advantage of those scriptures that are coming out on Monday mornings, that you would be in God's Word, that you would be in fellowship, discussing God's Word together, and that you would also be praying surrounding God's Word. And now we get to join together and worship our great God who is so worthy of our praise. Well, good morning, Salem Heights. We welcome you here today. Let's worship together. No height or death can separate Your steadfast love who can escape Your faithfulness an endless sea So full of grace and Forgive me. 
God, you are good. Sing this to him now. Yes, God. Psalm 104 says, I will sing to the Lord all my life, and I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. So it says, may my meditation be pleasing to him as rejoice in the Lord. And I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me.
Father, that is so true. We recognize that we are nothing compared to you. And though these times might be dark, just like this song, Holy, 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 that's been sung for generations says, though the darkness hides you, does not mean that you are not there. God, we are thankful that you are here in the middle of this mess we seem to be in. God, we are so thankful that you love and you care about us. Your word says, Rejoice that your name is in the book of life. Don't rejoice in what this world has to offer. Don't rejoice in the works that I may, might even allow you to do in this life, but rejoice that your name is recorded in heaven. And we are thankful for that today. We would pray that you'd help us today to hear from you. And as we hear from you, we look more like your son even this week. Help us to follow you with all of our heart. 
Let nothing else be in front of us. Help us to do whatever it takes to get rid of anything that would be a hindrance for us to follow you. God, we would pray that you would do that now. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you again. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and open them to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 10 is what we're going to be today as we continue in our series called In the Desert But Not Deserted. Uh, for the last several weeks, we have been looking at a section of verses in 1 Corinthians where Paul is giving a history lesson to his audience, the believers in a town called Corinth. And He's pointing back to some of the failures that the Israelites had while they were wandering in the wilderness as an example for us to try to avoid making the same mistakes in our own lives in relationship to God. In verse 6 of chapter 10, Paul tells his readers this, Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. That word for desire is the same word for craving. So it's not just something that sounds fun. It's, it's an intense passion for something. And in this case, it's something that is evil or something that is not good and is going to lead us away from God. These are the sinful desires that we know we still continue to battle even after we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Our desire is to live for Him, but there are still these things, these bents that can creep up into our lives, especially when we're not being careful and really making sure that we don't uh, walk in certain ways where we're going to trip on those types of desires. He reiterates his point in verses 11 and 12 saying, These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. So we hear here Paul is making this, this plea, this warning. I, I, these things are in Scripture so that we will learn from them. And I'm telling them to you so that you will be careful to learn and to adjust so that you don't trip and fall in the same way. And so a couple weeks ago, we saw the first one that he identified here in verse 7, which was the Israelites struggle with idolatry. And basically, uh, we sum that up as running to anything other than God for comfort or security. Uh, we can do this. It's, you know, sometimes when we think of idolatry, we think of statues and worshiping a, a deity. But idolatry is something that we run to before God, looking for comfort, looking for peace, instead of going to God first. Paul warns us not to do that. Last week, we looked at Paul's warning in verse 8 in regards to sexual immorality. Uh, this potential that we have if we let our guard down to indulge the passions of our flesh, these uh, sensualities, these things that are not going to be God-honoring, but are going to only be self-fulfilling. And we see in Scripture that oftentimes um, this is something that happens that um, comes right after God is trying to do something. Um, it's something that man has had a history of tripping up on. And so Paul is warning them again, hey, don't allow sexual immorality to have anything to do with your life. Avoid it, flee from it so that you don't trip up on that as well. This morning we're going to look at the next warning that he gives in verse 9. And we're going to look at the corresponding passage as well that we find in Numbers 21. Our text today, verse 9, says this, Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. 
Now, uh, this is a pretty intense statement. Uh, thinking about being destroyed by snakes is not a pleasant sight or something to think about. Um, but what is he trying to warn us for? Well, the word here is to test Christ. To test, some of your Bibles might have the word to tempt or to try, but to test the Lord is to um, push the boundaries or the limits of God's grace and mercy through rebellion. So we know that God is a gracious God. He shows us undeserved favor, and he's a merciful God. He relents from giving us what we deserve, and yet we can test him when we live in rebellion and we take advantage of that grace and mercy, or we live as if that is just to be expected, or that that is just supposed to be given to us. We're entitled to that. The Bible here, uh, Paul is warning us and saying, don't test God in this way. So how exactly did the Israelites tempt God or test God in the wilderness? Well, we find that story in Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. Then they set out from Mahor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with this story in the Old Testament, but this is what Paul is pointing back to as a warning that says, don't test Christ as they did in the wilderness and were destroyed by snakes. So how did the Israelites test the Lord? Well, the first thing we see here is that they were impatient with his timing. They began to complain about how long it was taking for God to lead them where he was going. The second thing we see here that they did that tested the Lord's grace and mercy was that they questioned his plan. They questioned what he was doing. Did he know what he was doing? Was it good for them? They questioned his plan. And the third way that they tested the Lord, we see in verse 6, is that they complained about his provision. They complained about the food that he had provided. You know, as I think about the ways that the Israelites tested the Lord, I, I don't think it's a, a reach to say that we can test the Lord in the same way. I, I mean, I'll ask you, have you ever responded to the Lord by saying, how long, God, is this going to go on for? Or perhaps you've said, God, why are you doing this? Or why are you allowing this to happen? Or possibly you've asked the Lord or you've made this statement, I'm tired of fill in the blank. There's a whole lot of things that we could put in there. I'm tired of this. I don't like this. I, what you've done, what you've given me is just not what I want. You see, we can test the Lord in this same way. And what Paul is saying, this is a serious thing to God. Don't test his grace and mercy. Don't try to see how far, how long suffering he is, how patient he will be. 
But when we actually question the Lord like this, when we complain in this way, when we put him to the test, we could phrase it like, how long, Lord, or why are you allowing this, or I'm tired of this. But what we're really saying is, Lord, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you know what you're doing. I don't trust that you have my best interest in mind. I don't trust that you're going to take care of me. I don't trust that what you're saying is going to be for my good is really going to be good. Now, as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about this point, that that we could test God by complaining and by questioning and by lamenting, One of my concerns was, I I don't want you to hear that and think that God doesn't want to hear your concerns. That in some way, by expressing concerns, expressing frustrations, expressing the things that are hurting you, the things that you're anxious about, that God doesn't want to hear it. The Bible actually tells us that he does. In 1 Peter, it tells tells us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares about you. In Philippians chapter 4, a passage we touched on a few weeks ago, he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So then how do we put these two pieces together? We have this warning we see in 1 Corinthians 10 that Paul says, Don't test the Lord. Don't try his patience, his grace, his mercy. Don't rebel and and test how much he's going to give you. And at the same time, we see that God says, but when you have these frustrations and you have these anxieties and you have these cares, tell them about me. Well, I think there's a key point that needs to be made right now that will help us understand what God's word is trying to tell us. And that is this. A care becomes a complaint when it stops short of Christ. A care becomes a complaint when it stops short of Christ. Because what you notice here is that in the story in Numbers 21, they get impatient at God and his timing. They're on this journey and they become impatient. Some of your Bibles say they become discouraged because it's just taking too long. Where is he leading us? I'm over this. It says here that they questioned his plan. Uh, It says, Lord, why have you brought us out of Egypt just to die in the wilderness? And then it says they complained about his provision. There's no bread or water, and we need to test this food you've given us. In none of those cases did they reflect a trust in God. In none of those cases did they express their concern, but say, but God... I know that you are faithful. I know that you are good. God, I've seen you do amazing things. God, I've seen, I have actually experienced your provision before. The Israelites could have totally seen this. God had repeatedly met their needs in the wilderness. He gave them water. He had given them food. He continued to guide them. He was near them, and yet they complained. God tells us to take our cares to him. But when we stop short of saying, God, here's my care, but I need you. I, I trust you. and I, I, Give me the right perspective. Help me to see this. Comfort my soul. God, I believe I'm still looking to you for an answer. When we stop short of that, we're actually just complaining because we do not trust the Lord to follow through, to carry us through, to be the good God that he has shown himself to be. 
So I want to give us then three ways that we can avoid complaining. If that's the warning here that Paul is giving us, he's saying don't test the Lord. We see that the way that the Israelites tested the Lord's grace and mercy was through their complaining, their impatience, their questioning of him. How can you and I avoid this in our own lives? Well, the first way that we can avoid complaining in our lives is to focus on our journey with him rather than a destination without him. These folks, these, these Israelites, they're traveling around and they're more focused on getting to the promised land. They're more focused on just being over with the journey and they're not recognizing that they're actually in fellowship and relationship with the living God. He's leading them with a cloud during the day and a pillow, pillar of fire at night. He is speaking. They can hear the thunder as, as God is interacting with their leader, Moses, and giving him God's direct words to give to the people. Um, they're, not, they're not looking at that going, I am with God. He is leading us, and I'm just, wherever he is, that's where I want to be. Now, they were more focused on getting to a destination. And so if we're going to avoid complaining in our lives, we need to enjoy the fact that we have a relationship with God. And as long as we're with him, it's going to be okay. I think this is what the psalmist gets at in that famous Psalm 23, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. I believe that we will not complain if our focus is on, hey, as long as I'm with the Lord, everything's going to be okay. It might be hard, and even as the psalm says here, I might be going through a dark valley, but I'm not afraid because I'm with God, and I'm more focused on being with him than getting somewhere where I can live without him. I think the Israelites were focused more on having God's stuff than having God and being with God. And I think that's a, that's a danger for you and I as well. God, just get me through this. Just give me what I need so I can go back on to my life. Maybe God is saying, no, I'm going to strip all that away and I'm going to lead you through a season of life where all I'm going to give you is me. Would that be enough? I'm here to tell you it is. And we need to focus on our journey with him rather than getting to a destination without him. That's the first way that we can avoid complaining. The second way is that we can approach uncertainty with anticipation. Man, we are in some uncertain times. Uh, we, we, you know, even here at the church are continuing to look at the schedule uh, every day and talking about what does the future hold? What does next week hold? How can we start to do ministry? And and we've been able to be able to kind of do some things that have been encouraging to you. They've been super encouraging to us. But we all agree. I mean, the future is still unclear exactly when things might go back to quote-unquote normal. But instead of looking at these times of uncertainty with dread, and we see here in the story of the Israelites, they're looking at this as, God, why did you lead us out of here just to die? Instead of that, the way that we can prevent ourselves from complaining is to Look forward to what God's going to do. I know there was uh, a time in my life where I experienced uh, some discouraging news, and I was sharing with my wife, and I was so touched by what she said to me in that moment. I've actually shared this story before, but it's just every time I think about uh, approaching times of uncertainty with anticipation, I think of this time because it was so pivotal in my own thinking. As we were both crying and concerned and worried and frustrated and hurt, 
my wife said, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. See, it's in those times of uncertainty where we can't write the end of the story, when we don't know where God's going, that God is actually going to do something that's so incredible and amazing that he can only be the one that gets the credit. And so instead of us having to worry, if we already have this first one kind of under our belt, which is, hey, I'm focused on where I am with the Lord, and he is near, and he is by my side, and he hasn't left me in this time of uncertainty, then I can look forward to what he's going to do as he walks me through it. And if I am looking forward to that with anticipation, my demeanor, my thoughts, my feelings are all going to change because I'm not worried, I'm not angry, I don't feel like I'm being robbed. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do because he has chosen to have me be part of the story now. And he's walking near to me. We need to approach uncertainty with anticipation. That will help us from complaining. But there's one more thing that I think we can see here. And that is we need to thank him daily for his abundant provision. The Israelites here didn't thank God. They were very ungrateful. God had met their earlier request for food. He had given them manna, the bread of heaven, every day. He said there'll be plenty. Take as much as you can eat and tomorrow I'll provide the same. And then they said that they wanted to have something besides bread and so he provided quail. So God had provided for their needs and yet here they have one of those negative attitudes which basically says nothing is good. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. They're saying there's no food, there's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this food. <laughs> well, you just said there's no bread or water. Basically what they're saying is we don't have anything that we want, we don't have the food that we like, we're really frustrated about that, and what you've given us, we just can't stand it anymore. If we're going to avoid that kind of complaint in our life. It starts with thanksgiving. We read that earlier in the Philippians verse that said we are to tell God about our anxieties, but do it with thanksgiving. That we need to have a thankful heart. And this has to be something we do every day, especially right now, friends, because <laughs> there is a lot going on that could cause us to be um, really frustrated. But we need to be thanking God because he has continued to be a provider in this time. And not just minimally. I mean, God continues to give abundant provision um, to us. He continues to meet our needs. Even though some of us have lost jobs, even though some of us have lost family members to COVID, even though some of us have had our livelihoods and the rhythm of our lives totally disrupted by uh, distance learning and, and working from home and all these different things, God has continued to meet basic needs and i know in, in many of our lives he's continued to go above that in psalm 13 verse 6 the psalmist writes this i will sing to the lord because he has treated me generously i think we need to take the time every day to thank the lord for the things he's doing even the simple things because god is the one that's providing those things and it's that process and practice of thanksgiving that will, will prevent us from being complainers. And in doing so, not testing the Lord who has been so gracious and merciful to us. If we're going to prevent ourselves from being complainers, we need to thank the Lord daily for his provision. Well, we see in the story here that God sent a, a consequence for their testing of him. They're complaining. He sent, uh, some of your translations say, fiery serpents. 
poisonous snakes that came and bit many people, and many people died who had been complaining. But even in their rebellion, God provided a means of healing. He provided a way. He instructed Moses to make this bronze snake and put it on a pole and stick it up amongst the people. And if they would look to it, they would be healed. I can't think but remember how Christ himself alluded to this in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, when he said this, quote, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see, even in our sinful rebellion against God, he still provided a way, a means of salvation. Man, I'm so thankful for that. That even though we have complained, even though we have tested him, God and his love for us was so great that he said, I love them so much, I'm willing to send my son to take the consequence on their behalf and provide a way for us to be restored in fellowship again. Man, that's such good news for us this morning. I want us to hear that God is calling us to be thankful, to be people who don't complain, who don't test him. And so I think this is an important challenge for us because there's a lot of things that will tempt us to complain and to test God in this season. But hopefully his verses and all the verses we've looked at have shown that God is worthy of our thanks, thankfulness, not our complaints. I want to give you just a few discussion questions for, for your groups as you guys uh, turn off the screen and maybe be able to chat about today's message and this passage. The first question is, in what areas of your life have you been complaining more than trusting God during this season? The second question is, what evidence is there that God can be trusted in this season? I think there's probably more than we would think of, um, but I think this is a good practice for us to do today in our home churches. And the last question, who is someone that you could encourage with this passage this week? Uh, someone that maybe is struggling uh, to see things rightly, that we could point them to what Christ has done and come in and dying on the cross for our sins. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to to deliver this word this morning, God. And I just pray that everyone who's watching would just really inspect their hearts, Lord, to consider, have they put you to the test? Have they been complaining? Have they become impatient with your timing, Lord? Have they questioned your plan? And God, if they have found that in themselves, if, if they identify in their, in their heart of hearts that, God, I have been complaining more than trusting, that they would just admit it that they would confess that to you and that, God, you would help them replace that complaining with trust. God, when we complain, we are saying, in essence, we don't trust you. But God, you have given us so many reasons why we should trust you and why we can trust you. So God, I pray that you would use your word this week to encourage our hearts, to remind us of your trustworthiness, to remind us of your goodness, and that when we are tempted to complain, we would be quick to remember that you are good. God, help us to desire to be with you more than to be apart from you. God, help us to look at times of uncertainty with anticipation, excited to see what you're going to do. And God, help us to thank you daily for your abundant provision. We love you and we praise you. And we pray this all in your son's name.
Amen.